Hey everybody, and welcome back to Storytellers, where we are exploring simple truths with eternal impact through story. I'm your host, James Savage. I serve as the Dixon Campus Pastor and your host for this podcast. We're spending the entire summer diving into the art and importance of storytelling in Scripture. We are learning about Jesus' use of storytelling in parables in His teaching, and we are pairing those stories and parables with real-life stories that have taken place in our very own community. And every time that we do that, we see how Scripture not only informs us of our past, but has the power to transform our lives today. Now, if this is the first time that you are here, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. But I hope that you pause and head back to episode one. I don't want you to miss the teaching, the parables, and the stories that we've heard from our community. With that being said, let's jump in to week four of Storytellers. Well, last week we saw how the entire Bible is a collection of real life stories that tell the singular story of how God is redeeming the world. This week, let's hop back into the parables by asking a really important question. What's the best way to read and understand Jesus's parables? If you're like me, you probably want to read and understand them in the way that Jesus intended us to. So I want to give you three things to pay attention to every time that you read a parable. The first is pay attention to the structure. Jesus was a master storyteller and structured his stories in a very intentional way so that we could learn more about the heart of the Father and ourselves. So many parables fall into the rules of three, two, or one. For instance, the rule of three points out how Jesus would often teach the same idea in groups of three parables. If you go look at the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, they are each their own standalone stories, but they also all teach the story of something lost being found. About two thirds of Jesus's parables follow the rule of three, either by putting three similar stories together or by having a pattern of three taking place within the parable. So that's the rule of three. You'll also notice the rule of two. Using the rule of two, Jesus would often set up one scenario and then have two different characters approach that scenario in two different ways. You can go find the parable of the judge and the widow or the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And you'll see, we get to learn about the kingdom of God based on how Jesus comments on the actions of the two characters responding differently to the same scenario. About one in every six of the parables follows the rule of two. Finally, there's the rule of one. And this again is about one out of every six parables. And these are pretty straightforward. These parables have one main character and one main point. Uh, if you read the parables like the parable of the pearl of great price or the treasure in the field, you will see that they both tell a simple story of a single person finding something of value and pursuing it with everything that they have. Like I said before, Jesus was a master storyteller. So the things that he said in the order that he said them were on purpose. Also, the gospel writers organize the structure of their gospels on purpose. So as you read, pay attention to the structure, pay attention to the patterns and even the breaking of patterns. They are all there to help us understand the meaning of the parables. 
So to sum all that up, pay attention to the structure. Second, pay attention to the shock value. These stories were meant to be shocking regarding the kind of kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. Jesus would set up a familiar scenario and then shock the listener with a curveball. It's often in that curveball that we get to see Jesus's perspective on the parable. So pay attention to the shock value. Finally, pay attention to yours and my ability to overcomplicate things. There is so much that can be gleaned from each parable. And just like scripture as a whole, the more time you spend with a parable, the more you will see. But be careful not to miss the forest for the trees. Parables are not filled with secret messages that only the most educated minds can discern. They were spoken by Jesus with the intent of sharing the heart of the Father to anyone who had ears to listen. More often than not, the most simple interpretation of a parable is the correct one. So with each parable that you read, pay attention to the structure, pay attention to the shock value, and do your best to not overcomplicate it. Use these tools to zoom out and consider the context that Jesus told this parable. Ask yourself, how does this parable speak into what's happening in the larger story of Jesus's life? Now, the good news is, you don't have to do this alone. In fact, no one is asking you to. Scripture is meant to be experienced and digested together. These are great questions to bring to your Crosspoint group. If you are not in a Crosspoint group, click the link that we've put in the show notes and it will guide you to sign up for a Crosspoint group today. I do want you to know that we will have new groups launching in August. So maybe you consider joining a group then or even starting your own group based on the parables. Just something to think about. With these tools in mind, let's talk through today's parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus begins this parable in response to a question from a religious scholar who would have been an expert in religious law. The question was, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what you'll see in this parable is that instead of just giving an answer, Jesus draws him in by asking the scholar how he would answer the question himself. Remember, scripture is not only for information, but also for transformation. And Jesus is setting the stage for transformation. The religious scholar gives an answer that satisfies Jesus. But in order to make sure that he's not accountable for anything else, the scholar asks one more question. It's a question that may have been intended to stump Jesus, but instead of answering the question outright, Jesus leans in and he tells a story. Jesus doesn't tell the scholar what he's trying to say at the end of the parable. He invites the scholar to imagine himself in the parable and answer his own question. Today, you and I are invited to do the same. As we read, pay attention to the rule of three. You'll also see a shocking revelation of who the hero of the story is. Now I'll interject some historical details to make sure that you see these moments when they happen. 
You'll also see that the point of the story is not a mystery. It is a brilliant and powerful story that invites you and me to consider the nature and extent of what loving your neighbor truly means. The challenge will not be in deciphering the story. The challenge will be in deciding whether or not we have the courage to live out its truth. Now let's read the parable of the Good Samaritan for ourselves. You can follow along in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. I'm going to be reading from the message translation. Just then, a religious scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said, that you love the Lord your God with all of your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, Jesus said. Do it and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, the scholar asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. Now let's pause for context. The original listeners were likely not surprised by much of this story so far. They would have known that the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho was a treacherous one, not only because of terrain, but because of the people they may encounter. Robbery was a risk anyone would take on that journey. And although the actions of the priest and the Levite do not seem very kind, the original listeners would at least understand their reasoning. Because of legal and religious codes, they were encouraged not to get involved in this kind of situation. Then comes along a Samaritan. Now the story just went from bad to worse. You see, Samaritans were cultural enemies of the Israelites. And as the Samaritan approached this injured man who had been beaten, vulnerable, naked on the side of the road, every listener would be wondering how the Samaritan was going to take advantage of this situation and how much more harm was about to come to this man on the side of the road. But what Jesus says next was absolutely shocking. Picking back up in verse 33, Jesus says, a Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. He then lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. Jesus says to the scholar, what do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religious scholar responded. 
Jesus said, go and do the same. Well, did you notice the rule of three, the shock value, the clear point that Jesus was making? I've said it before, I'll say it again. Jesus was a master storyteller and he invited people into the story so that they could better understand the heart of God and the desire that God has for his people. What I love so much about Jesus's artistry and delivery here is that Jesus helped the lawyer to see something through a parable that he would not have seen by simply stating the law. Y'all, that's the beauty of the parables. They help us see past the surface and into a deeper understanding of God's heart. If we don't read them and if we don't know how to read them, we miss the beauty of them. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus taught that radical compassion can come from an unlikely source. He was teaching the power of seeing people first rather than labels. Being a parable, it was a fictional story, but what if something like this happened in real life? What if something like this happened in your life? What if the person you would least expect reached out to show you kindness and compassion? Would you receive it? This brings us to today's storyteller. Like the radical mercy shown by the Samaritan, this story is a story of mercy and grace that came from an unlikely source. I'd like to introduce to you Paige Bumpus, who's our kids director out of the Dixon campus. Paige is sharing this story on behalf of her ex-husband, Kane, and her now husband, Derek. It is a beautiful story of loving your neighbor, no matter who that neighbor may be. So I think the beginning of this story really starts um, about eight years ago when I met my first husband, Kane, and we were just young and that didn't continue. So when we divorced, we had a son that we share named Rhett, and the biggest goal for us was to co-parent. And so um, with that in co-parenting well, the whole thing was putting him first. It didn't matter how we felt about it. We wanted to just put him first. As the years have gone by, I have remarried, and my current husband's name is Derek, and Kane has also remarried to a great woman named Morgan. And so over the years, we have just made sure that Rhett is the center. It stems from how Derek grew up. He grew up with divorced parents, and his dad and his stepdad did not get along. And so his whole, um, like, growing up years, he felt like he had to choose between his dad or his stepdad. It just caused a lot of drama, a lot of hurt, um, a lot of time, especially since his dad passed when he was 17, a lot of time that he can't get back. And so I think when his dad did pass, that that kind of triggered um them to all get along again. And so for him, when he, when we got married, Rhett was three. And so for him, from the beginning, that was something that he did not want to falter on. He was like, we will get along. We will make an effort to always at least <laughs> let Rhett see that we get along. We, um, we always talk about we won't say anything around Rhett that we don't want, like that's not positive. And so for him, it was just not wanting to repeat that again, and that he wanted to make a conscious effort to be friends or to at least be respectful and agreeable. And I think when 
they got to be able that they were respectful of each other and could get along in a way of just like, hey, how are you? That that friendship was able to grow. And then that led to, hey, we can actually go on trips together. Hey, we can actually coach baseball together. Just being the bigger person of like, hey, we could be really petty about this or not get along just because in, you know, today's standards, you're not supposed to get along with your wife's ex-husband. But instead of taking that, like just taking the high road of, no, this is a person that matters to my son, that matters to my wife. And so he matters to me too. And so taking that step to um, to show him that through friendship. So Rhett is almost eight and he has, he doesn't know a life without Derek and Morgan, which would be his step-parents. He um, has always had them in his life as long as he can remember. And so the great thing is like our co-parenting, we do 50-50. So he does one week with Kane, one week with me. And throughout the week, we still see each other because like I said, they coach sports together. We um, go to practices. I feel like even though Rhett's growing up from a divorced home, he doesn't have the feeling of a broken home because he gets to see two marriages that um, love each other, but also gets to see people that get along and that love him. I don't think he's ever felt like, oh, I have to pick my dad or, oh, I have to pick my mom. He knows that we both are there and that there's no picking sides or there's no lack of affection or love from either side. And um, a sweet story about in kindergarten, they had a Father's Day drawing and they were told to draw their dad. And he was like, well, I have two dads. Can I draw both of them? (laughs) And so just in his little heart, like he doesn't feel like, oh, well, I have to just draw my dad and I can't draw my stepdad, Derek. Like he loves them the same and thinks of them both as his dad because they've done that together. And he doesn't feel any different or feel a need to choose sides. He's a pretty lucky boy, if I say so myself. Derek and Kane coach baseball together. We show up to all the events and sit together. And what kind of started this story was they wanted to have what they call a dude's day with Rhett. And so Kane took his son, Grayson, and his stepson, Tristan, and then our son, Rhett, and him, all three of the boys, and Derek and Kane went to Louisville together on like a trip, a guy's trip. They had a great time together. Um, on the way home, Kane had just lost his mom a few weeks before and was really struggling with that. And my husband, Derek, lost his dad when he was 17. So he's been through that. Um, they just kind of talked through that, what that's like, the grief. And then Kane just kind of expressed wanting to get back closer to God. He's always like grown up a Christian, had a relationship, but felt that stray. And then losing his mom had just made him want to kind of dive back in. So Kane and Derek were able to just start like a Bible study between the two of them. So they would start texting every night. Um, They picked a book of the Bible to go through and would text like chapter by chapter, like, what are your thoughts here? What were you thinking here? That led to Kane joining the Bible study that my husband Derek leads each week. And from there, that just kind of spread like fire through their family. That turned into Kane's wife, Morgan, diving into her Bible, asking questions, um, reading things she's never read before. Four. That even went on into um, her son, Tristan, who's 13, and he ended up wanting to be baptized. And so the really cool part of this is he asked Cain and Derek to baptize him. So it was um, 
really sweet moment where all of our families got to come together and we all got to see Kane and Derek be able to play a role in Tristan's life. And the way that Derek got to disciple Kane, which then led to Kane discipling Tristan. And then um, they both got to be there for a part of that baptism. So it was just a really cool story of not every husband and ex-husband <laughs> get along and that they were able to put Jesus first instead of um, what could be there, what kind of strife could be in the middle. Instead, um, they just chose to put God first and that that led to a beautiful story of just lighting a fire again in Cain's home and also just spreading that into Tristan to where he also wanted to follow steps in baptism too. Like Derek's first choice of a person to go through a Bible study with is probably not his wife's ex-husband, but because he's asking the question like, God, where do you want me? Where do you want to use me? Who do you want to use me for? God was able to show him Cain and let them start that conversation, let them start that relationship. So I guess just not discounting anybody, like God can redeem any relationship, any person, and just know that he can do anything through anybody. My husband, Derek, is the kindest person I've ever met. And so it's really easy to want to hold resentment in my heart about my um, ex-husband, Kane or the failed marriage that we had. But watching him be able to accept him and to take the steps to be his friend when we could easily turn it into a, this is your time, this is my time, and we don't converse otherwise. Um that has impacted my faith a lot of just watching Derek be like Jesus, of he takes the time to see people. I think that's a gift he has is he sees people for who they are. And so even though Cain would be the most unlikely person that he should see as um, for who they are or want to disciple him or want to just be friends with him, that he goes out of his way to be that person. And so I think it's affected all of our families. I get a lot of people that ask, like, how do you co-parent so well? Or how do you guys get along when we have pictures of all four of us plus Rhett on Facebook or whatnot? A lot of that, I mean, that credit just goes to God that we have Jesus as our example of what we should do, that we should love one another. And he doesn't say like, love everybody except your ex-husband and his new wife. Um, we just love everyone and we love everyone the same, no matter like the past that they come with. You know, the narrative of divorce is that it can be ugly and that it is traumatic and it can be all of those things if you let it. But I think if you um, just put God at the center of it, that you can, he can redeem that story and turn it into something beautiful too. Y'all, I love this story for a lot of reasons. One of them is because I've had a front row seat to see it play out before my own eyes. It is one thing to say that through Jesus, anything is possible. It's a whole nother thing to witness it for yourself. And in this story of Paige and Derek and Cain and Tristan, what the world has deemed as impossible has become possible right before our eyes. This is the beauty of the parables that Jesus uses these fictional stories so that they would become true in our real lives. They challenge us to see the world as He saw the world. As you go about your week, my prayer for you is that you would have new eyes for your neighbors. 
Whether it's your physical neighbors or your coworkers, the people in your gym class or the barista at your favorite coffee shop, or even your wife's ex-husband's son. They are all your neighbors and they are all worthy of the kind of grace and mercy shown by the Samaritan. My hope is that stories like this would continue to pop up all over our church and all over Middle Tennessee, stories of radical mercy that lead to life transformation. Doesn't that sound like the revival that we pray for? As we finish out today's episode, let me remind you again that we are all a part of the story that fits into God's bigger story. It's a story that He is still writing in my life and in yours. So as He reveals to you how your story fits into His, we'd love to hear about it at crosspoint.tv slash share your story. You can like and subscribe to this podcast. And if this episode has been meaningful to you, I hope that you share it. You can even tag crosspoint.tv. And if we see your posts, we might have the opportunity to repost it. Follow along with our Storytellers Sunday series at crosspoint.tv slash watch now. And check out the show notes for questions that will help you go deeper as you explore this parable this week. I'm praying that you get these good Samaritan moments this week, that you get to reach out in compassion to someone that you might not have before. I hope that you join us next Wednesday as we dig into a parable titled The Friend at Midnight. It will challenge us to pray bold prayers. We will also get to hear an incredible story from Malia Stevens, who shares about the time that she prayed bold prayers on behalf of her child. Check this out. My husband and I were praying, um, and there was one particular gift I felt like uh, I just had kind of stopped asking for. And as we were praying over my son before he was taken back, uh, I was given my prayer language. I think about the graciousness of the Father, and I had persistently been asking, but I stopped. You know, but he he remembered that that was something that I wanted, and I don't think. It's a coincidence that on the day my son was born, I was also given the gift of becoming a mother, but the gift um, of my prayer language. And so when I think about a journey uh, with the Lord and like our relationship, I think it's ongoing. You know, He's continually revealing Himself to us and even continually giving us revelation on a story that happened three years ago. 